We all want to feed our family the very best, but parents at all income levels struggle with grocery shopping. Today on The Count of Three, our guests will teach us how our families can eat well without breaking the bank. I'm your host, Susie Kennan. And I'm your host, Kyle Ward. And today our guest is Dr. Srila Sharma. Dr. Sharma is the co-founder of Brighter Bites. She's responsible for operationalizing the Brighter Bites formula. She developed the research infrastructure for the program and continues to ensure rigorous replication of Brighter Bites across all of the sites in Houston, Dallas, Austin, New York, Washington, D.C., and Southwest Florida. Dr. Sharma is also professor of epidemiology at UT Health School of Public Health and a trained dietitian and physical therapist. Additionally, Dr. Sharma was the lead investigator in the development and evaluation of the CATCH Early Childhood Program to improve opportunities for healthy eating and physical activity in three to five-year-old children attending preschool. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Sharma. Thank you for having me. So you have extensive experience helping families make smart and healthy decisions when it comes to nutrition. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from organizations like Brighter Bites and Catch. Can you discuss the Brighter Bites model and your process for transforming a family's relationship with healthy food? Our mission is to create communities of health through fresh food. And our formula is simple. There are three pieces, produce distribution, nutrition education, and a recipe tasting, which we call a fun food experience. So each week, imagine going to the school and participating in a fruit and vegetable co-op. That's essentially the experience for the families. We primarily target schools that are serving under-resourced communities, so schools that have 80% or more of the children on the free and reduced lunch program. That's kind of the eligibility criteria for the school. But then the entire school can participate in the program and in the co-op. Our mission and our motto is, if it ain't fun, it don't get done. So we make it fun for the school. The entire school can participate, including teachers and principals, and everybody can participate in the program. And each week, the families get about 20 to 25 pounds of a variety of fresh fruits and vegetables. Yeah, we want to give them eight to 10 different kinds of produce each week that they can take home. So the parent picks up their child, comes to the cafeteria, usually where there's an assembly line, picks up their bag of produce and gets a healthy or a tasty recipe to try at that produce pickup time. And it's usually tied to a produce item in the bag, like spaghetti squash or something that parents may not have tried before. And they get to try it. And what's interesting about that 10 second touch point where they try a new recipe is it's a teaching moment between the parent and the child, right? If you go to your favorite grocery store and you're shopping in the aisles and you see, you know, some new item and you see that your child likes that item, that's a big teaching moment for the parent to say, oh, my child liked this. Let me go buy it, right? So it's that similar experience that we're recreating in the school. And then we also train the schools in implementing a robust nutrition education component. So we implement the CATCH program, which stands for Coordinated Approach to Child Health. And that's a Texas Education Agency approved coordinated school health program. It's disseminated nationwide, and it includes a lot of just learning opportunities in the school 
to optimize nutrition education. So get the kids excited about healthy eating and being active as well. And the program is implemented for 16 weeks in the school year and eight weeks in the summer. What we are trying to do is essentially create a demand for fresh fruits and vegetables into the homes of the families uh, that need it the most. What tips do you have for our listeners out there about keeping produce costs down? I essentially have three things that I do each week when I do grocery shopping. One is I have to make a list. I have to plan. And planning really does go a long way. And it's not planning by the food item. I actually plan by the the meal I'm going to make. So I do just, okay, on Mondays, you know, it's lasagna night. On Tuesday, it's going to be this and so on and so forth. And that helps me think through, okay, what ingredients that I'm going to need to bring that meal into action. And that also keeps me from overspending and buying things that I may not cook because with produce, it's perishable, right? As, as we all know. And so you don't want to throw half of it in the trash and it's expensive. So we want to make sure that we plan what we're going to buy for the week. Then the second thing is seasonal. Seasonal is always in sale and making sure that I understand, okay, what's in season right now and going through the produce aisle and buying what's seasonal. And it's usually also more delicious and you're getting the pick of the season, if you will. And so I always go seasonal. And the third thing is buying things that are not necessarily everything that will die in that one week if I don't use it. So I combine frozen, canned with fresh so that, you know, I can make my produce last longer. It's absolutely okay to buy frozen. In fact, frozen usually are buying, it's picked at the peak of its uh, freshness and frozen right away. So completely okay to buy frozen fruits, vegetables, and completely okay to buy canned. You know, there's some things with canned that you have to watch out for, but I buy fresh frozen canned so that for some reason I don't end up cooking couple days a week, it's not all going into the trash. And then I, along with that, I also think about how can I prepare meals that I can freeze? How can I make my produce last longer? Which produce is in season right now and I can buy a little bit more of like berries. We love berries in my home. And so I can freeze berries too. And so I can make that last longer as well. So I think about that little bit of planning goes a long way. So let's dive into the conversation around organic versus non-organic food. According to MarketWatch Online, organic food averages 7.5% more than conventional food, while some grocery items like USDA certified organic milk are nearly double in price. Are there benefits to eating organic produce? The short answer is yes. If you cannot afford to buy organic, please, you can absolutely wash off the synthetic pesticides from a lot of the produce. Just simply washing with water, you do not have to use soap. There's some misconceptions or misinformation out there about you need to use soap when you're washing produce. No, you don't. If you want to, you can use a scrub that you get, but pretty much just really giving it a thorough wash in water is and letting it dry, patting it dry with the towel is enough to take out a lot of the synthetic pesticides that we are worried about and that organic produce doesn't have. 
however, you're really wanting to buy organic, you don't need to buy all your produce organic. I mean, boy, that's going to add to your bill quite a bit. But there's some, you know, we call it the dirty dozen. And the EPA actually has a list of the dirty dozen. It's apples, celery, cherry tomatoes, cucumber, strawberries, grapes, hot peppers, potatoes, and nectarines, and peaches, pale collard greens to that as well. Those are the ones that we say that if you can afford to buy organic, those are the ones I would buy or because they do absorb a lot more synthetic pesticides than other produce items do. But my bottom line is that it's better to have some produce on your plate than none at all. So you really answered my next question, because what you're telling our listeners is it's okay to split between organic and non-organic and still make healthy decisions and be economically minded. But when I go down a produce aisle and I see organic, all I see is dollar signs. So really, what is the most significant difference between organic and non-organic? And if you've got to cheat, what would you say that's a good choice for non-organic for a fruit and vegetable, if you if you got to go that route? Pretty much anything outside the dirty dozen is, is fair game. If you wash it well, you're going to be completely fine in terms of the absorption of the synthetic pesticides. So anything outside the 12 or so that I mentioned should be completely fine. And even with these 12, if you buy non-organic, you're going to be fine in, in the sense, make sure like with cucumbers, you know, peel them if you can. For the greens, I don't buy all organic. There's no way I, we can afford that. The greens, I will just soak them in water for a little bit and then rinse them off and then pat them dry with the towel. Similarly with grapes, I just soak them in water to get as much of the pesticides out. But you're not going to consuming a whole lot of pesticides or not at the levels that's going to be harmful to you. Did you say peel the skin? Because I always thought we were told, you know, that the healthy part is the skin. I thought I heard you say peel it. Honestly, if you just wash your produce well with water and pat it dry with the towel, beyond that, it's like splitting hairs. What's the next best thing to buying fresh? I would say next best thing is frozen, and we can talk about the labels, but frozen and then canned, I would say it's totally fine. You just want to make sure that you're not buying, like with berries, sometimes they will have added sugars to them. So the challenge with reading labels is many foods, even vegetables, will have natural sugars in them. What you want to look out for is if there's any added sugar. So whether you're buying frozen, canned, or dried, you just want to make sure that you can look at the label and the ingredient list. In the labels, now they have added sugars, and that should be zero <laughs> grams. Beyond that, then you're good to go. Also added sodium. If you look at the front of the label for any canned vegetables, especially, will say no salt added. That's your best bet in terms of buying. Or you can look at the sodium level. If it has some salt in it, 
And typically what I would say is anything less than 20 milligrams per serving is kind of the benchmark that you go for. But best is easiest as you look at the front, no salt added, you're good to go. No added sugars, you're good to go. The other thing with canned food, what I say is the nutrients are actually also in the water that the canned food is in. Don't throw out that water. If you're buying regular sodium variety produce, then I would rinse it. But otherwise, I wouldn't throw away all of that water because that actually has the nutrients that are in the produce that have, you know, now leached into that water as well. So you just kind of have to make sure that you're not throwing the best part of the produce item that you're buying. So it sounds like there's three S's, sodium, sugar, and salt when we're label watching. And that's great advice on the label. Now that we've lived through a pandemic and there's curbside, a lot of people are in the store looking at the label. So if you're ordering, how do you know in which canned goods in particular should you be cognizant of, of watching those three S's if you're not actually in the store looking at the labels? That has been a learning lesson for me as well, as we've all done a lot of like the online shopping and we've gotten many times products that are regular sodium, even though we pick the no salt added, or you can add that as an instruction, but many times there is a mix up in which case what I do is again, rinse off if it's like canned beans, you know, we eat a lot of beans in my house as well. So if it's canned beans, it's regular sodium, I'll just rinse it off with underwater running water. And that way all the sodium is washed off. With tomato sauce, it's harder. You can't, you can't wash off tomato sauce, in which case then I'll just make sure I'm not using a lot in terms of quantity because the sodium content in tomato sauce is a lot if you buy regular and so you just have to really watch out because the can is three servings, but the amount that's in the label is for one serving. So you multiply that times three if you're using the whole can, right? So you just have to, for anything that's saucy, like sauces, I try to buy the no added salt or sodium, but sometimes then I just temper myself in terms of the amount that I use and then just add fresh, tomatoes to it, you know, just chop up some tomatoes or things like that to get the volume that I need. It is tricky. There's no doubt the pandemic has definitely changed the way we shop, which impacts the way we eat. Okay, so staying on labels for a minute, we see a lot of buzzwords on food, things like all natural, farm raised, free range. What words really carry real nutritional perks? My benchmark is that the foods that have the least labels are the ones that are the best for you, to be completely honest with you. You will never find a label on a tomato. But I understand that for convenience reasons, folks are going to want to, like I, which I do myself, right? I buy a mix of fresh and frozen and canned. The labeling is purely for marketing purposes. It's really less for health reasons and it's mostly for marketing purposes. Any other health claims are pretty much, in my opinion, a marketing ploy. So you look at a box of Cheerios and you'll see that it's heart healthy. 
But it's heart healthy because it has no added sugars in it. It has very little sodium in it. All those claims have to essentially are backed up in sugar and salt and fat. I also really, you know, when you think about fat and low fat and no fat, you also have to think about are the low fat items concurrently now higher in sugar? Have they made up for the low fat by adding more sugars to it? So is it really healthy? is the question. It's not really one nutrient, and which is why, again, you know, going back to the eating whole foods concept, which are, you know, least processed foods is your best bet in terms of if you're trying to maintain a healthy lifestyle in general, the less the processing, the more healthier it's going to be. You have to kind of watch out in terms of these health claims of, okay, you're buying something that's low in fat, but is it now being replaced by sugar or vice versa? Also, some fats are good for you, right? For example, pesto sauce, right? If it's a freshly made pesto sauce, it's higher in fat, but it's olive oil. I'd rather you have, you know, a tablespoon of that versus another highly processed condiment that you might want to put on your plate. The type of fat, I've seen that usually when you're trying to maintain a healthy lifestyle, it is absolutely okay to eat all of those food groups, salt, sugar, and fat, because those are the ones that give you taste, right? Those are the ones that give flavor, and you're not going to be on a healthy diet eating something that tastes like cardboard. That's just not going to last long. It's not, you know, food is one of the pleasures of life. We want to eat well to live well, and you can do achieve all of that keeping the flavors that you have grown to love and enjoy as part of your healthy diet. So don't hesitate to experiment. One of the things I tell my families that I work with is buy one new produce item when you go to the grocery store. Don't buy 15 new things because you're trying to get on a healthy diet. Just one. And plan that with your family. Engage your kids in that. Like, oh, we're going to buy one new thing. What would you like to try? You know, we've never tried Brussels sprouts before. We've never tried kale before. Okay, let's do that and plan what you're going to do with it with your family. Trust me, when they have the buy-in, they are more likely to try it. How should we saute it? Should we roast it? You know, and then engage them in the prep. Just the other day, I made sauteed leeks and kale. And my 11-year-old was all into it. You know, he was like, Oh, you know, and he helped me prep and chop the kale and sauteed. It took like all of five minutes, but it tasted amazing to him. He ate, I kid you not, like a cereal bowl full of sauteed leeks and kale. And I took a picture of it. Just, you know, I never know when this will happen again. It was, you know, an experience for him. He was bought into it. All it takes is one item and that can then be part of your meal right, for next week. So you're talking about introducing a new food item that maybe we don't traditionally eat often. So what is your best tip for families to shop for that new food and confidence that they're not just going to say, I'm not going to eat that? Do you engage them in how that item's going to be part of a certain dish or how you're going to cook it? Yes, I completely do, because that strategy that I have used as a parent with my kids 
It's called learn it, like it, love it strategy. And it's essentially, even as babies, and it's especially important when they're very little, everything is new for them, right? You want to have a strategy towards introducing new food. So every meal that they had, had one food item that they were still learning about, right? They hadn't developed the taste for it. One food item I knew they liked and one that they loved. Like we are culturally Indian, but I think my boys are really Italian. They love Italian food. So I knew that anything from a love it perspective was Italian, you know, pasta, lasagna. <laughs> In any of their meals, I had something that they loved, something that they liked, and something that they were still learning to like. And they all they had to do was taste the one that they were learning to like. It took my older one about a year or more of that learned process to like certain vegetables, like greens, uh, eggplant is still something he's learning. But that's kind of the process with the parents that I encourage, that they know their child has eaten something. There's a love it, like it on their plate. And even if they don't enjoy the learned food, that's okay. I love that process. I'm gonna try that with Shelby. So as we wrap up, what are some of your top do's and don'ts to keep in mind so it's top of mind for our parents when they are out trying to shop smart and healthy? I would say plan your meals. That's number one. And don't plan a restaurant menu for your family. I think that's a big don't for me. Don't get into that habit. It's okay to try new foods, but don't try a whole new menu that week. Again, use the learn it, love it, like it strategy as you think about your meals and your sides. I think the last thing I would say is you have to enjoy your food. Flavor has to be at the center of it. And if the food is not flavorful, nobody's going to eat it. You're not going to stick with it. So keep your cultural flavors, celebrate your culture, and use that as the foundation. Your salt, sugar, and fat, they're not your enemy. It's okay to use all of them. You just have to, you know, moderation is always the key. But those are the things that bring out the flavor in food, and it can all be part of a healthy diet. Well, Dr. Sharma, you are a wealth of knowledge, and I think you've made us remember that healthy eating can taste really good. So tell our listeners, how can we follow you and let us know how we can reach out to you? Because I know this is an important topic. You can go learn more about Brighter Bites at www.brighterbites.org. One word, Brighter Bites. And we've also curated hundreds of recipes, healthy recipes there that are all culturally friendly and budget friendly. It actually has the nutrition information and budget information on the recipes. Yeah, you can download our app for free in the app store and it has all these recipes and tips and tools by the name. So if you put in sweet potato, it pulls up all the recipes we have for sweet potato and you can also pull it up by the meal you want. So if you want breakfast, lunch, dinner, it'll pull up recipe ideas for you. So. Please go download our app on the App Store from your iPhone or Android. And uh, you can also find me either on the Brighter Bites website. My contact information is there. Or you can also find me at the UT Health School of Public Health 
website where I actually work. So I always love to hear from families. And if there's anything I can do to help, uh, feel free to reach out. Thank you so much, Dr. Sharma. This has been really interesting and informative. I mean, I made notes and the Dirty Dozen, the app, I can't wait to go download the app because that's going to make my grocery shopping so much easier. And I love your motto. If it ain't fun, it don't get done. So I love that. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate that. You're definitely helping us raise healthier and happier kids. And for our listeners, I'm looking forward to laughing and learning our way through this crazy thing called parenting with you on our next episode of The Count of Three. Thanks again for joining Texas PTA's podcast. You can join PTA anytime and from anywhere at joinpta.org. Do you have a fun or touching parenting story of your own? Share it with us for a chance to land on a future episode. Just call 512-387-1909 and leave a voicemail including your name, city, and short story. We can't wait to hear from you. And join the Count of Three community on Instagram at Count of Three Pod. That's at Count of Three Pod for news on episodes, content, and just a place to laugh our way through this crazy thing called parenting.